Good morning. As uh, Mark mentioned, I'm Leslie's dad. And uh, we're going to be thinking about titles this morning. And I proudly bear the title of Leslie's dad. And also proudly bear the title bestowed on me of, by my wonderful granddaughters of Papa. So we're going to be thinking about titles. A quick heads up to those of you here who are used to and rightly appreciate Mark's well-crafted sermons. Uh, this is a layman's sermon coming from a brother in Christ. I, I won't be expertly exegeting a passage of scripture. I won't have three main points, all starting with the same letter. <laughs> but uh, I do, uh, my desire here this morning is that uh, God will be glorified and that his church will be built up. As I mentioned, we want to give some thought to, to titles this morning, and our scripture passage is from uh, the first chapter of John, uh, verses 9 through 13. Let me read those for us. Hang on here. And it says this. It says, The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And our focus today is going to be on that verse 12 that I read. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, I pray that you will use these thoughts, these words, to your glory and for the building up of your beloved body of Christ gathered here. Father, I readily acknowledge that as a sinner standing before you and your people and praise you that you are able to use jars of clay for your purposes. May you be glorified and your church be built up this morning. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Is there a title that you're striving for? Is there some title that you are striving for? Maybe you're working on your PhD and the title that you're striving for is doctor. You know, maybe you're in business and you've been successfully climbing the corporate ladder and president or CEO is the title that you're looking for. You know, maybe you're into physical fitness and Ironman, you know, is the title that you're seeking for. Maybe your desire is to have children and mom or dad is the title that you're striving for. Maybe you're in high school and the title you're striving for is valedictorian or starting lineup. You know, I suspect that most of us are striving for some title. And while all these titles are important, there is one title that's far more important than any of those. In fact, I would go as far to say that it is the most important title that anyone can have. And that title is Child of God. That title is Child of God. You know, that title appears a number of places in the Bible, one being verse 12 that I read, where it says, referring to Jesus, it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You know, when you think about titles, titles are usually what? They're usually bestowed by some person or organization. The title of God is one that's bestowed in love by God. It, it tells us in 1 John, it says, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. You know, what comes to your mind when you think of a title being bestowed? 
I don't know about you, but what comes into my mind is a person being ceremonially knighted by the king or queen of England. You know, we've probably all seen that ceremony. The person comes forward, kneels before the sovereign. The sovereign shares a few words to honor the person. Then what? They takes a sword, right? Takes a sword and taps them on the shoulder with the flat edge of the sword. Taps them on both shoulders. Well, the title child of God is also bestowed by kneeling before a sovereign, kneeling humbly before the sovereign God. And the title is bestowed when one comes to the point of humbly acknowledging that their sin warrants death. And by faith, receiving Jesus, believing in his name, and accepting the grace offered through his death and resurrection. And through that act of faith, the sin slate is wiped clean, and the child of God relationship is established. You know, as in the knighting ceremony, there is, in a sense, a sword involved in becoming a child of God. You know, in the Bible, the sword is often used to represent God's judgment. And since sin taints us all, we're all subject to God's holy and just judgment. But by receiving Jesus, believing in his name, the sword of God's judgment is turned from its sharp killing edge to its flat side of mercy. The sword is turned from the sharp killing edge to the flat side of mercy. God's wrath has been satisfied by Jesus. Jesus received the sharp edge of the sword in order that we might receive the flat side of mercy. Well, there are some differences between titles in the secular world and <clears throat> the title child of God. If we're honest with ourselves, one of the reasons we strive for titles is what? We're seeking glory. We're a glory-seeking people. You know, we want to be at the top of the ladder and be seen there. We want to excel compared to someone else and have everyone else know it. You know, we want people to look up at us and admire us, and having an important title serves that purpose. We want glory. But in bestowing the title child of God, it's God who gets the glory, not us. You know, I mentioned earlier that there are similarities between becoming a child of God and being knighted, but when it comes to glory, it's completely different. A person is knighted because of their accomplishments, and they get the glory. A person is made a child of God because of God's accomplishment, and God gets the glory. You know, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 sums it up beautifully. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You know, our salvation in the title child of God is a gift from God. It's not based on any good works that... We do. It's a gift and it's a title bestowed in love by his grace and to his glory. So one difference between secular titles and the title child of God is that God, not us, gets the glory when it's bestowed. Another difference between secular titles that we strive for and the child of God title relates to authority and power. You know, most secular titles bring with them some degree of authority or power. The more significant the title, the more people that report to you. Uh, the larger the budget you're responsible for, the more wide-ranging the impact of your decisions. You know, every title, in a sense, uh, makes you the big kahuna over some realm. That's what titles do. But the Child of God title turns everything upside down. Instead of the way up being up, the way up is down. Instead of people serving you because of your title, you serve them. 
A passage in Luke 22 speaks to this in verse 24 where it starts out, A dispute also arose among them, them being Jesus' disciples. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Well, what was the title that the disciples were seeking? They wanted to be the greatest, right? That was the title that they were looking for. These guys wanted to be the Tom Brady of disciples, right? The greatest, the goat, the greatest of all times. But Jesus tells them, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. The authority and power that comes with the title child of God is the God-given authority and power to serve others, not to rule over others. And the way to greatness for those bearing the title child of God is first downward in humility and then outward to serve others. Downward first and then outward to serve others. Well, besides there being differences in the secular titles we strive for and the title child of God, there are also some similarities. Major similarities that both of them come with benefits, right? You know, a secular world, the benefits usually associated with a title might include more pay, more vacation, Stock options, specialty insurance, maybe telecommuting privileges, corner office, company car, club membership. Those are the benefits that come with secular titles. But the child of God title, it comes with even better benefits. You know, the most important benefit is that God's wrath, which we deserve because of our sin, is no longer directed toward us, but it's been poured out upon Jesus. I think we underestimate the severity of God's judgment, or maybe it's more that we choose not to think about it. But assuaging God's wrath is the primary reason that Jesus came. Jesus did not come primarily to set a moral example or to triumph over Satan or to demonstrate God's love. And as one author puts it, supremely, supremely, the work of the Son and especially his death, resurrection, satisfied the Father's righteous wrath against the horror of human rebellion against him. Assuaging God's wrath is the reason that Jesus came to assuage that wrath. Well, going hand in hand with the benefit of Jesus satisfying the Father's righteous wrath uh, that we deserve is the future benefit of eternal life in God's presence, the joy of Jesus' return and our dwelling in the new heaven and the new earth where every tear will be wiped away, death will be no more, there will be no mourning or crying or pain. Well, that's a future benefit, but there is a current benefit as well. You know, I'm 77 years old, and as my wife and Ellen and I say, we're in the zone. Uh -huh. Some of you know what that means, right? We're in, the, we're in the zone. You know, the number of our friends and family dying or dealing with serious health problems is increasing. You know, the current benefit of being a child of God, especially as you grow older, is knowing that your relationship with God is secure, knowing that he is a sovereign and a good and a loving God and a loving Father who walks with you every day in every circumstance and knowing that the future will be even better than the present. And because of that, because of that, you're able to live in the zone with peace and joy and with confidence. Well, were there no other benefits of being a child of God besides God's mercy and eternal life with its current blessings, those benefits alone would be sufficient to elevate the title child of God above all other titles. But there are other benefits, too many to cover all of them this morning, but here's just a few. 
You know, one of the most blessed benefits the child of God receives is the gift of prayer. Secular titles usually come with assistance, admin assistance, tech assistance, legal assistance. But the child of God receives assistance from the creator of the universe through prayer. Assistance from the one with complete knowledge and unlimited power coupled with perfect love. Assistance that can't be found or can't be matched anywhere. And one thing I love about prayer is that the child of God seeks assistance from a God who by Jesus' example and instruction told us that we should call him Father. We should call him Father. Our prayer answering God is not a God who is far off, who is hard to get in touch with, who is reluctant to respond. Our God says, call me Father. And I would go so far as to say that Jesus died so that we could call God Father. Jesus died so that we could call God Father. As I was thinking about prayer and calling God Father, uh, I had a Spotify moment. Uh, in growing up, I grew up in the 60s, and my music of choice was soul music. Still like it. So when Spotify puts together my playlist, you know, I get a lot of soul music that shows up on my, on my playlist. And a while back, a song showed up that I'd forgotten about, but I really like. Nobody has maybe ever heard of it. I'll ask you if you did. Has anybody ever heard of the song called Color Him Father? Anybody old enough to remember that and willing to admit it? Ah, see, it's fairly obscure. It's, very, it's a fairly obscure song. It actually, you know, it was sung by the Winstons. It came out in 1969. It actually rose to number seven uh, on the charts. It's a song about a son honoring his father, actually his stepfather. And the chorus goes like this. He says, I think I'll call her him father. I'm going to call her him love. I've got to call her him father. I think I'll call her this man love. Well, I don't know about you, but my coloring experience was primarily with coloring books as a child. Pretty simple. Stay inside the lines. Right? Pick colors that look like the actual thing. Tree trunks are brown, leaves are green, unless it's the fall. Sky is blue, the sun is yellow. Coloring usually involves making things look as you see them. Coloring usually involves making things look as you see them. God says, see me as father. He says, color me as father. When you think of me, think of me as your father. When you're defeated and broken, know that I love you as a perfect father loves his child. When you come to me in prayer, call out my name, Father. Father. You know, I'm sure there are widely varied experiences with fathers in this room. Some of you have or had great fathers. Some of you have or had poor fathers. But the child of God has the perfect Prayer-answering Father, loving, good, wise, powerful, present. In your mind and in your heart, color him Father. Color him Father. And he is a Father that answers prayers abundantly. I love Matthew 7, 11, which says, If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The child of God doesn't just have a father. He or she has a how much more father. 
A father who doesn't just provide the bare minimum, but a father who is able and desires to provide more than we can ask or imagine. You know, since we're all well aware of our own sin and brokenness, our, our intuition may be that a holy God harbors some kind of a mild resentment toward us. He's a holy God, and we're broken sinners. You know, and maybe that he's reluctant to answer us when we pray. When we pray. It's kind of the emoji with gritted teeth comes to my mind. <laughs> yes, I think I'll answer their prayer, but, you know, it's hard. <clears throat> well... I like, uh, I've really enjoyed Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. I think some of you are using it in studies here. We're using it in our uh, home group. And he does a really good job of describing this idea that we might have about God being reluctant to reach out to us. He says this, he says, we naturally think of Jesus or God the Father for our purposes this morning. We think of him touching us the way a little boy reaches out to touch a slug for the first time. Face screwed up, cautiously extending the arm, giving a yelp of disgust upon contact and instantly withdrawing. I love that picture, you know. Sometimes we might think that God looks at us as this slug. He's reluctant to reach out, reluctant to touch us. Our human intuition might say that when in fact he's what? He's a how much more father. He's a how much more father that runs toward us. He runs toward us. And it occurred to me when I thought about God running toward us, what came to my mind, and him being a how much more father as well, is that's what's described in the parable of the prodigal son, when you think about it, right? Where the father represents God. <clears throat> you know, it says in Luke 15, 20, it says, but while he, he being the prodigal son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You know, our how much more father isn't reluctant to interact with us. He wants relationship with us. He runs to us even when we're a long way off. And the father not only runs toward the prodigal and toward us, but what? He decides to throw a party as well. The father says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's eat and let's celebrate. You know, welcome home. Let's celebrate. Now, the father could have stopped with a big hug and a welcome home. That might have been sufficient. But he's a how much more father. He's a how much more father. So he does what? He throws a party. He throws a party as well because he's a how much more father. You know, the benefit of prayer that a child of God has is an amazing blessing. The child of God has prayers that are heard and answered by a how much more father who runs toward us to answer those prayers and to bless us and to bring himself glory. Well, another benefit that comes with the child, child of God <clears throat> is a sense of purpose and satisfaction. <clears throat> Excuse me, allergies working this morning. <clears throat> and uh, even adventure, adventure that comes as we serve God. You know, all of us want our lives to count for something. You know, so much of what is done in the world has no long-lasting effect, but... The fruit borne by a child of God, directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, has eternal consequences. And the Bible tells us that the responsibility of church leadership is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The word saints means children of God. That's you. You, know, you are the saints. You are the saints. You, a child of God, is to be equipped and to be involved in the work of ministry. 
And ministry can be any number of things that God calls you to and the Spirit gifts you for. And I would so, go so far to say that nothing, nothing, nothing will give you a greater sense of purpose or be more satisfying than serving the Lord in a way or place that he has called you to. Nothing is more satisfying than serving the Lord. You know, serving God in ministry not only provides a sense of purpose and satisfaction, but it also provides a sense of adventure. <clears throat> the adventure shows up <clears throat> because we may be asked to do something in ministry that we don't think we're capable of. <clears throat> and actually, it feels a little dangerous. As I was thinking about the idea of ministry being adventure, for some reason, thrill rides like roller coasters came to my mind. You know, some of you, like my wife, probably hate roller coasters. But others of us, we love them, right? What, what is it about that? You know, why, why do we love that? <clears throat> and I thought about that, and I thought, you know, I think the reason we love things like roller coasters is it's the thrill of knowing that you're basically safe, but also feeling like you might die. <laughs> I think that's what it is. You're kind of safe, you're strapped in, you know you're okay, but then you start climbing that first hill on the roller coaster, the ratchet goes clack, 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 clack. <laughs> You get up to the top, and then what happens? Ah! You know, the scream, I'm going to die. I think I'm going to die. You know, I think that's a part of it. You know, it's such, an, it's such an adventure. Well, it's scary, but it's fun, and I think that's the, that's the connection. Ministry can be scary, but it's an adventure. It's scary because we know we're inadequate, but it's a blessed adventure when God shows up and works through us. You know, several years ago, the congregational pastor at our church in St. Louis retired, and I was approached to ask if I would help out with congregational care. Well, you need to understand two things. One is that I'm an engineer, and two is that I'm an introvert. Okay, so you might rightly ask, and you'd be justified in saying, what is wrong with this picture? <laughs> They're asking a guy who's an engineer and an introvert to be in congregational care. And that was a justified question. I had that question myself. You know, what's wrong with this picture? But I felt led to do it, and I agreed to help out with much fear and trembling. And what I experienced was the adventure of God glorifying, glorifying himself by bringing about, bringing about effective ministry despite my fears and my shortcomings. Over a period of five years, there were many hospital and home visits, some involving death, some tragic, some natural. And many of those visits evolved into officiating at a funeral service. And through it all, God was present and brought comfort. And during that season of ministry, several verses in 2 Corinthians sprang to life and became my foundation and my encouragement. These were the verses that reminded me that it's God who's at work, not me. This is God who's at work. So I offer these verses to you for your encouragement and your ministry, especially if you're involved in a ministry and you're questioning your adequacy. Or maybe you're asked, being asked to do a ministry and you're wondering about, am I adequate for this? Can I do this? Well, here's the verses that I found helpful, and I hope you find them helpful as well. 2 Corinthians 3.5. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. 2 Corinthians 4.7. That we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power of belongs to God and not to us. I love that picture of jars of clay. You may have heard that in my prayer when I opened up. We, we're jars of clay. We're just brown, plain jars 
sitting on the shelf, waiting for God to reach out, saying, I think I'll use this jar today. I think I'll use this jar of clay. We're nothing special. We're jars of clay. But God chooses to use us in his ministry. So it was, it was absolutely true that I was inadequate. And so are you. But that provides God the opportunity to show that he's more than adequate, which rightly brings him the glory. As I look back on those five years, I wouldn't trade him for anything. I would not trade them for anything. God allowed me to enter into holy spaces with his suffering people and built my faith and confidence in his ability to bring about fruitful ministry in spite of my weaknesses and shortcomings. It was scary, but it was an amazing adventure. It was scary, but it was an amazing adventure. You know, maybe you bear the title child of God and God is calling you to a ministry adventure that seems a bit scary. I encourage you, take the ride. Take the ride. Experience the satisfaction and adventure of being used by him all to his glory. Well, another benefit that comes with the title child of God is the benefit of family. When the Bible speaks about being a child of God, it usually puts it, well, actually all the times I looked, it puts it in collective terms. It really talks about the children of God. Being a child of God, you're among the children of God. The title comes with a family. The title comes with brothers and sisters. It comes with a church. The child of God, the title comes with the church, with your family. What's that family like? And the Bible, and Paul in particular, tells us what the church family strives to be. You know, there's way more, way more in the Bible than we can touch on this morning. But here's a taste of what the church family should be like from Romans 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I suspect there's probably a half a dozen sermons in there. I will leave those to Mark for the future. You know, the church is an amazing thing. It worships, it evangelizes, it edifies. It's the place you grow, it's the place you serve, it's the place where you make friendships that are even closer than family. It's a living organism that you can build up or that you can tear down. Christianity is a team sport. If you're trying to live the Christian life on your own, isolated or marginally connected to the church, your spiritual life will be stunted along with your joy and your satisfaction. Is the church perfect? Hmm, what do you think? By no means. We all know that. But it is the place that God has ordained to care for and utilize the children of God all to his glory. One closing thought regarding titles, and that being that our titles have a way of defining us. You know, they speak to what's important to us. They indicate where we invest a lot of our time and energy, where we strive for advancement, where we find our satisfaction. As followers of Christ, the title child of God should be the title that most defines us. That should be the title that most defines us. It should be the title we seek to live out in a way that glorifies God and blesses others and brings us great joy and satisfaction. It should be the title that comes to people's mind when they reflect on your life and how you live it. As I mentioned earlier, Ellen and I think of ourselves as being in the zone age-wise and find ourselves attending an increasing number of funerals. I often find the remembrances that are offered by friends and family 
to be the most meaningful part of the service. And the remembrances that touch me most deeply are those that clearly and unashamedly speak to that person loving God and being loved by God. Remembrances that show that the Lord was the most important thing in that person's life. And how having the Lord at the center of their life, plus all those around them, spouses, siblings, children, grandchildren, friends, co-workers, they bore the title child of God and lived like it. Being a child of God was what defined them. So I ask you, what title are you striving for? What title will define your life? What will people think of when they think of you? The most important title we can bear is child of God. And if you bear that title already, you bear the most glorious title of all. And I encourage you to thank and praise God for bestowing that title on you and seek to live out that title to the fullest to God's glory. If you don't bear the title child of God, or maybe you're not sure whether you do or not, let's circle back to John 1.12 where we started because that's where it tells us the basis upon which the title child of God is bestowed. It says this, but to all who did receive him, Jesus, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God bestows the title child of God on those who put their trust in Jesus for their salvation. If there is a longing in your heart this morning to be a child of God, that's a blessed situation to be in because the Lord is calling out to you. Respond to his call. Receive Jesus Christ. Believe in his name and become a part of God's family. Receive the most important title of all, the glorious title, child of God. Amen.